From Miami Law, I'm Annette Ugas, and this is The Explainer. That in the non-union setting, employees don't do well in the individual arbitration of employment claims. Empirical work uh, by uh, scholars in this area have shown that employees win less often and recover less in arbitration than in court. And just as important, actually very few workers arbitrate at all. Welcome to season eight of the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. The U.S. Supreme Court recently heard a case to decide if employers can require employees to waive their right to sue on behalf of the government for employment law violations. Employment law expert Andrew Elmore explains why it matters. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Andrew. Thanks for joining us again. Catherine, thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. You've written a lot about California's Personal Attorney General Act, or PAGA, if I'm saying that right. Uh, which lets employees sue on behalf of the state for penalties related to workplace violations. How does this relate to the class action waiver issue? That's a wonderful question. And and first, I'll I'll say, um, you know, this is such a wonderful time to talk about uh, workplace issues. We're reading it in the newspaper right now. Uh, Last year, I was uh, delighted to speak with you about uh, the union election in Bessemer, you had asked me then if that was foregrounding a change uh, in labor law or the labor movement. Uh, in classic law professor style, I kind of you know shrugged my shoulders and said, maybe we'll see. And so, you know, I, I think this is an ongoing conversation. And, and, and as you'll see, I think it will relate to this issue as well. Um, the issue of, of mandatory arbitration, which, which really is uh, uh, centrally uh, located in uh, workplaces in which there is no union, right? But but you know we'll we'll, we'll take a look. I'm, I'm I'm sure at the end uh, at union union context as well. So, uh, Catherine, if it's okay, I'd like to to step back and tee this up a bit. Um, so I came to this issue uh, with a concern about the under enforcement of employment laws uh, in low wage workplaces. Uh, studies uh, report uh, ten to twenty percent of low wage workers are paid below the minimum wage. Uh, and more in specific sectors, uh, half of uh, garment uh, workers report receiving less than the minimum wage. Nearly 90% of home health workers report unpaid off the books work. So for an individual employee, uh, and this is the crux of the issue, for the individual employee, this might only be worth at most a couple hundred dollars a month, right? But this represents a large amount to these particular workers. And collectively, these violations add up to many billions in owed wages per year. A single claim like that uh, uh, doesn't justify the hassle or expense of a lawsuit. Agencies, public agencies, uh, lack the resources to deal with the problem. They, they can only realistically be brought uh, in court through uh, collective or class action claims. Now, in the past decade, uh, uh, plaintiff side lawyers have um, developed in this area. Uh, to bring these cases uh, in a group way. Uh, Today, nearly half of minimum wage off the books cases under the Fair Labor Standards Act, uh, uh, Fair Labor Standards Act are brought as group or class claims. This is where mandatory arbitration comes in. Uh, Let's start with the federal law. The Federal Arbitration Act uh, enacted in 1925, uh, not a very well-known statute for, for decades. Uh, requires arbitration of claims unless it conflicts with another state statute 
or is subject to a state contract defense, a public policy defense. Uh, beginning in the 1990s, uh, courts began finding that the FAA could require employees to arbitrate employment law claims. And interestingly, there is a part of the FAA, Section 1, that expressly exempts uh, employment claims. So you would think that it wouldn't apply. The, the, the exemption itself uh, uh, exempts uh, from the FAA, the, the mandatory arbitration uh, uh, law, uh, seamen, this is a quote, seamen, railroad employees, or any other class of workers engaged in foreign or interstate commerce. Seem qu seems quite broad. In fact, the, the, the Supreme Court has narrowly construed this, this, this provision over the past couple of decades. Uh, 2001, a Supreme Court case called Circuit City held that it only applies to transportation workers. So outside of that one particular sector, uh, uh, mandatory arbitration became enforceable as to any uh, effectively any em employment law claim, even if it's statutory. So, so employers rushed in, uh, beginning in the, the, the early to mid aughts, uh, creating broader and broader kinds of mandatory arbitration provisions. Before we go further, uh, Catherine, let me first back up and say, there are certainly some cases in which arbitration can be a net positive uh, for both employers and employees. Uh, not always uh, 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 problematic. Uh, a dispute between two parties with roughly equal bargaining power who want to avoid the expense and formality of litigation, arbitration is made for that sort of a dispute. Uh, that's why it was enacted by, by you know, business people who didn't want to have to go to court every time they had a dispute. Uh, arbitration, by the way, is a mainstay of labor law. Uh, it's how employers and unions resolve most workplace disputes without resorting to strikes or lockouts and has been an important part of how labor law resolves uh, 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 grievances uh, for decades. Uh, but there's lots of evidence that in the non-union setting, employees don't do well in the individual arbitration of employment claims. Empirical work uh, by uh, scholars in this area have shown that employees win less often and recover less in arbitration than in court, and just as important, Actually, very few workers arbitrate at all. <laughs> so as a result, there's a major enforcement gap uh, mm -hmm. in uh, workplaces in which there's mandatory arbitration provision. Now, enter a very sophisticated defense bar. Uh, not only would employers require the arbitration of employment disputes, but would also require as part of that uh, mandatory arbitration provision, uh, a waiver a waiver of participation in a class or collective action as a condition of work. This is what critics call forced arbitration. Mm -hmm. In 2011, the Supreme Court in, in, in a case called Concepcion, that's a consumer case, held that in the consumer context, companies could require consumers to waive participation in class action in an arbitration agreement, uh, enforceable per the, the federal statute, the FAA. Uh, the, the National Labor Relations Board at the time took the position that Concepcion, uh, the consumer case, doesn't apply to the workplace. Why? Because labor law protects the right to act collectively uh, to protect workplace standards, just like wages. So, so in essence, the, the labor law, the National Labor Relations Act, uh, uh, protects the right to proceed collectively in court. The, the Supreme Court in 2018 rejected the board's con position in, in, in the major case in this area, Epic Systems, uh, finding that there is no conflict. Uh, for the Supreme Court, the, the labor law, the NLRA, deals with the right to join uh, unions, to bargain collectively. The FAA is what governs arbitration, and so uh, uh, arbitration and waiver of class claims are enforceable. 
So that's a long way <laughs> of teeing up uh, <laughs> what you are asking, which is the Personal Attorney, the per Personal Attorney General Act, or mm -hmm. as you correctly pronounced it, PAGA. Um, so California enacted PAGA actually quite a long time ago, in 2004, before this was a real issue. Uh, California enacted the law to deal with the problem of widespread violations of state employment law in low-wage workplaces. The growing sense that public enforcement, you know, enforcement by public agencies, uh, wasn't enough to solve the problem. So in PAGA, uh, California partially assigns the state's interest in its claim uh, to penalties for employment law violations to private individuals. Uh, to what it calls aggrieved parties or employees uh, to enforce it for a, a for a bounty. Uh, PAGA lets employees harmed by the state employment law violations to litigate the claim for state penalties related to the violations uh, on behalf of the state. If the worker is successful, they they keep 25 percent of the of the penalties. The, the remainder, 75 percent, goes to the state. It essentially lets employees step into the shoes of the state put all the related state penalties together and vindicate the public in, public's interest in compliance with workplace laws. After Epic Systems, PAGA claims in California became more important as the only realistic way for many employees in California with low value claims to litigate them. Why? By adding them, adding them together with all the penalties. But all observers of this issue in 2018 knew that after Epic Systems, it was only a matter of time before the Supreme Court took up this issue. And that is where we are right now. So the root of Viking River Cruises versus Moriana is basically about how and who should enforce or who should be held accountable for employment law violations. Is Do I have that right? It seems like there's a lot of moving parts there. Can you just set up what how that case started? What's at the root of it? Who's on first? <laughs> that's that, that's absolutely right, and I'm going to start this off with um, <laughs> with a bad pun. So, so Viking River Cruises uh, continues the epic debate. There you go. There's the pun uh -huh. uh, uh, about who enforces and how. Uh, it pits the interest of states in making their own decisions about how to enforce their own laws against employers, uh, employers who see PAGA as an end run, uh, skirting Epic Systems by essentially repackaging. Uh, private class claims as public state claims. So uh, to understand the stakes of this, you really have to step in the shoes of the two different parties, right? Uh, uh, the state and the employer. So first, let's look at it from California's position. Uh, generally, the idea that a state can partially assign its interest in a claim to private enforcers is non-controversial. Uh, the False Claims Act uh, is a classic version of this type of enforcement. Historically, it's been uh, given a, a, a strange Latin name called a quitam. So in, in a quitam statute, uh, the whistleblower litigates a claim of fraud against the government on behalf of the state and keeps a, a portion of the penalties as a bounty. It harnesses private enforcement to vindicate the public's interest. And from, there's, from that standpoint, um, as a legal matter, there's, there's nothing to see here, right? An aggrieved employee who waives a class action uh, uh, participation, doesn't waive a PAGA claim because the, the state isn't a party to that agreement. They don't, they, they're not a part of the mandatory arbitration provision. Uh, the PAGA penalties are for state law violations that can be separately litigated from any individual's claim. Uh, class action rules don't apply 
Uh, so PAGA claims are, are fairly straightforward for a single employee to litigate on behalf of the state, whether in court or, or in arbitration. Uh, for this reason, the California Supreme Court, uh, in a case called Iskanian, uh, held that the FAA does not limit PAGA claims. The, the employee uh, certainly can waive her participation in a class action. Uh, she may have to arbitrate her individual employment law claim. She may even have to arbitrate the PAGA claim. But an employee's waiver simply doesn't apply from the state's position. The claim belongs to the state, and the state doesn't waive anything. Full stop. There are strong federalism concerns here uh, as well. Employers are asking federal courts, right, the Supreme Court, to tell a state that it can't decide how to enforce its own laws. Nor, generally speaking, there is a presumption against uh, uh, doing this. And, and the Ninth Circuit agreed. It upheld Iskanian uh, uh, in 2015. Okay, so that's the state's version of this dispute. Uh, stepping into the shoes of the employers, there is very little difference between being sued in a class action for owed wages and being sued by the same individuals, being grieved employees, uh, for penalties associated with that claim. Uh, so in that sense, it is different from the False Claims Act, uh, where the private individual is litigating a completely separate harm, right? The, the, the fraud on the state. Here, the state penalties are closely connected to the harm to the individual litigating the claim. Also, unlike the False Claims Act, in which uh, the Department of Justice, the agency, retains the right to intervene in an FCA or a false claims act suit, California has a limited supervisory role in PAGA. Uh, so for, for employers uh, flush from their victory uh, in Epic Systems, PAGA seems an awful lot like an end run. So most commentators uh, before uh, the, the, the argument uh, in, in, in Viking River Cruises thought that this case was an easy win for employers. Um, the, the, anyone who read Epic Systems knew that PAGA was next on the chopping block. Uh, but the argument in this case was more ambiguous than observers expected. Uh, the six conservative justices were mostly quiet. Uh, Justice Gorsuch, who wrote the majority opinion in, in Epic Systems, said almost nothing. Now, that can mean a lot of things, right? And, and, and I am not going to prognosticate about what's going to happen in this case. Um, it could mean that they've already made up their minds. Uh, it, it also could mean that they aren't particularly troubled by PAGA. Uh, and there are grounds to think why that might be the case. A conservative justice who considers himself a formalist, right, an originalist or a textualist, uh, could be persuaded to find that PAGA is just simply outside the scope of the FAA because it's a quitam, right? Quitam statutes have an ancient vintage. They've been around since the 13th century. Uh, so, so for a formalist, the formal assignment of the state's interest to, to, to the individual uh, it could be enough to put PAGA outside of the FAA, uh, even if functionally the assignment looks an awful lot like a class claim. So if one agrees that PAGA is a valid assignment of the state's interest, the FAA should have nothing to do with this. The state gets to decide how it, for, how it enforces its own laws. So that's the pitch for which uh, uh, a conservative justice might, 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 might find PAGA outside the FAA. Um, but we've seen a lot of strange decisions coming from the court this term. Uh, and if a conservative majority wants to find PAGA to be a class action in disguise, Viking gives them a perfectly fine vehicle for that decision. 
Okay. Um, so the ruling will impact something like half the non-union private sector workers in the U.S. who have signed these agreements to arbitrate rather than sue either individually or in class action suits. Do I have that right? Well, so PAGA right now is just one state, uh, California. That's that's why Viking arises out of that out of that state. But first, let's acknowledge California is a big state, right? It is in fact the biggest. So we're talking about a, a state of forty million people. Uh, it's also a leading innovator of employment law. So uh, it, it is an important uh, lawsuit in part because um, there are other states that are looking at what happens. Uh, since um, Epic Systems uh, uh, came down, seven other states, uh, Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, New York, Oregon, Vermont, Washington, have all considered some variation of a PAGA statute. So those states may, might just be waiting to see what what, what pans out here. Got it. Got it. Um, so this case is aimed at violations of wage laws, but does it have wider implications, for instance, with regard to like OSHA regulations permitting uh, pertaining to COVID-19? Absolutely. Uh, so in theory, this innovation could be applied to many enforcement problems that plague workplace regulation. And OSHA is the perfect example of that. Uh, study after study has shown that OSHA is chronically under-enforced. Um, by its own literature, OSHA acknowledges that it, it has so few inspectors that it would take a uh, hundred years or more uh, for its investigators to, to, to inspect every single workplace in the United States. Uh, no private right of action to enforce OSHA. Um, so as a result, a lot of studies suggest that OSHA is, is under-enforced. So states with a state plan to enforce OSHA, uh, not all states do, but many states enforce OSHA standards. Uh, for example, California could extend PAGA to various safety standards, including COVID-19 standards in the health sector. I know you were very busy on Twitter with that earlier this year. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's, it's funny because safety and health is often under discussed, uh, in part because there is no active uh, bar uh, 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 of, of of lawyers going to court because there is no private private right of action. Of course, it's vitally it's vitally important. We see that during the pandemic, uh, uh, among other times. But in in dangerous industries, it, it's vital to have somebody who can who can act as as a watchdog. Um, okay. Well, is there anything to add to this conversation? Um, sure. So so let's leave this with with two two final points. So first off, Paga. Let's just consider it one among many possible innovations to deal with the larger problem of an enforcement gap in employment law. There are other innovations out there. Uh, plaintiff's lawyers have become ar arbitration entrepreneurs, uh, filing massive amounts of individual arbitration claims to, to mimic the effects of class actions. Uh, we've seen that in, in, in previous class claims, uh, becoming mass arbitrations in, um, uh, against Uber and Chipotle. Uh, legislators are carving out areas of public law from mandatory arbitration. Uh, most recently, March 3rd, last month, uh, President Biden si signed into law the Ending Forced Arbitration of Sexual Assault and Sexual Harassment Act, taking sexual harassment uh, uh, out of man uh, uh, the FAA's uh, uh, purview. This is essentially a legacy of the Me Too movement. Uh, second, let's not leave labor law off the table. Uh, whether we think uh, arbitration of individual employment law rights is fair uh, to employees largely hinges on whether there are sufficient safeguards to prevent its abuse. 
Labor law can play an important role here by essentially inserting a, a stakeholder, a union, to reduce the inequality of bargaining power that, that, that's so often present in this setting. So as we watch these events, uh, 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 Amazon and Starbucks, uh, and we think about its implications for labor law, we should also be thinking about its implications for the enforcement of laws and mandatory arbitration in general. Cool. Labor law in the headlines. Thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> My pleasure. Great to talk to you. All right. See you around. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this season of The Explainer. We will be back in the fall with a whole new season of explaining. If you enjoy our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode is brought to you by the upcoming Miami Law's 32nd Annual Bankruptcy Skills Workshop, June 3rd. The CLE event focuses on where the practice of consumer bankruptcy is heading and the complex issue that may arise. For more information, visit www.law.miami.edu forward slash CLE forward slash bankruptcy. 